No, God established marriage at a particular period of time. We didn't evolve through the millennia of time in their minds and millions and over billions of years into the marriage institution. God created it at the start of when he made Adam and Eve. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in part two of Pastor Carl's sermon, A Marriage Made in Heaven, as we look at the hallowed institution of biblical marriage from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Please join us in Genesis chapter 2 as we continue. God's norm is for most people to be married. But with that said, God hasn't called everyone to be married, and we need to be sensitive to that truth. Some people are set apart in a unique, special way for the plans that God has. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks of an undistracted service that a single person can give to the work of the kingdom. And so Paul says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, the chapter opens now concerning the things about which you wrote. They had written him a letter with a bunch of questions. And so starting in chapter 7 through the rest of the book, he ticks off those questions one by one. And one of their questions was in light of the persecution, in light of the fact that a lot of women were losing their husbands, was it a good thing to give your daughter to someone in marriage? And Paul said, well, you know, God's plan is for people to be married. Some people are gifted like I am. And Paul never married. Paul was single his entire life. He had a right to be married. He'll argue that in 1 Corinthians 9. But he was single. Now, this is not a spiritual gift. The gift of celibacy, as you'll see in some spiritual gift inventories. No, this is not something that God does through you. This is something that God does to you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that a person who is single their whole life doesn't have a sex drive. They may very well, but they have the kind of sex drive that does not need to be fulfilled through a marriage relationship. And then some people are like eunuchs, Jesus said, some who are made eunuchs by men, some that God makes in that fashion. But understand that when you're single, you can give undistracted devotion to the work of the kingdom. When I was single, I would leave my apartment at 7 a.m. in the morning, and very often I'd come home at 10 or 11 at night. And at the peak of my ministry before I was married, I was leading nine different Bible studies a week apart from the large group meetings that I spoke at. Then, you know, this club that I had formed, Bachelors Till the Rapture, of which I was the only member, and as soon as I met Audrey, it was dissolved. You know, I learned that there's another half to the whole thing. Paul says, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And by the way, that's a good thing. Your interests need to be divided, not in a worldly fashion. That's not what he's referring to contextually, but your need to give time and focus and attention to the one that God has called you to and the children that will come from your loins. So everything changed at that point in my life. The undistracted devotion was very, very different. But for most people, and by the way, we need to be careful. We need to be very careful. Some married people think it's their ministry to marry off single people. 
And they need to be reminded that there are some people that God has called to be single their whole life and they're not weird or anything else. God just has a different plan for them. And some people are being harassed. When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? Maybe never, because God has a different plan. But for most of us, the plan is to be married. And so Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She shall be called woman. Now, contrary to popular opinion, the word woman does not mean woe is man. Actually, our English word comes from Anglo-Saxon, and originally the word was, she shall be called womb man, W-O-M-B, womb man, the man with the womb. But it kind of got hard to say womb man without spitting, so we dropped the M-B and we just became woman. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. So that's the first observation I want to make this morning. Marriage is made by God the Father because the father is the one who plans a bride for Adam, provides a bride from Adam, presents the bride to Adam. But there's a second observation about marriage that's made in heaven. Marriage is managed by God the Holy Spirit. Marriage is managed by God the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean that marriage is managed by God the Holy Spirit? Well, if you will notice verse 23, the verse is introduced with the words, the man said, and then in our English Bibles, we have some quotation marks at the beginning, at the end of the verse, indicating that this is a direct quote from Adam. But then in verse 24, there's no quotation. Why is that? Because these are not the words of Adam. These are the words of God the Holy Spirit flowing through the pen of Moses as he records this text of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is reminding us that marriage is a divine institution. Notice what Moses writes by the Spirit in verse 24. For this reason, that is because God made Eve from Adam to be married, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Verse 24, in essence, is an interpretation of what is happening, which is why verse 24 is quoted four times in the New Testament. God is reminding us and recording us for all time in his word that marriage did not evolve, it did not develop uh, as the evolutionists or even the theistic evolutionists argues in our day. And they have no other choice but to conclude that if you believe in evolution or fake apologists like Tim Keller, who believes that it's viable for a Christian to embrace theistic evolution. You embrace theistic evolution and the foundations crumble. No, God established marriage at a particular period of time. We didn't evolve through the millennia of time in their minds and millions and over billions of years into the marriage institution. God created it at the start of when he made Adam and Eve. And yet we have mega church pastors like T.D. Jakes, who's trying to deal with all the homosexual gay people or people in his church who have homosexual children, how they are to deal with this. 
And so he says, and I quote, Paul spends a lot of time wrestling back and forth, trying to understand, should a woman wear a head covering? Should you cut your hair? I mean, they grappled back then and we're grappling now because we're humans and we are flawed and we're not God. Once you understand you're not God, you leave yourself an out clause to grow. Then he adds, LGBTs of different types and sorts have to find a place of worship that reflects what your views are and what you believe like anyone else. And so when asked if his position on homosexuality had evolved, T.D. Jakes says, and I quote, yes, it has evolved and it is evolving. Well, I want to tell you, God's word is not evolved and it is not evolving. It is static, it is eternal, and it has never, ever changed. Jen Hatmaker who sold millions of Bible studies in evangelical churches across America, writes this. This is a fact. Thousands of churches and millions of Christ followers faithfully read the scriptures and with thoughtful and academic work come to different conclusions on homosexuality and countless others. Godly, respectable leaders have exegeted the Bible, and there is absolutely not unanimity on its interpretation. There never has been. Historically, Christian theology has always been contextually bound and often inconsistent with itself, an inconvenient truth we prefer to selectively explain. The fact is, Ms. Hatmaker, you are wrong. Bible-believing Christians, since the creation of time, since the days of Moses, have believed that marriage is defined between one man and one woman, and that homosexuality is a perversion, it is against nature, and it is a distortion of what God intended to be. And so when asked if she would attend a so-called gay wedding, she said, and I quote, I would attend that wedding with gladness. I would drink champagne. I want the very best for my gay friends. I want love and happiness and faithfulness and commitment and community. Yes, that's an easy answer. Then asked if she thought such a marriage is holy, a gay marriage is holy. She said, I do. And my views here are tender. I've seen too much pain and rejection of the intersection of the gay community and the church. Every believer that witnesses that much overwhelming sorrow should be tender enough to do some hard work here. No hard work or study needed. God has said what he meant, and he meant what he said. That does not mean we are ever to be hateful towards a gay person. Never, ever, 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 ever. But if we do not tell them the truth, we are being one of the most unloving, damning persons that we can be. And yet Beth Moore on Jen Hatmaker's show in January says this, it was a blast to be a guest on my beloved friend Jen Hatmaker's For the Love podcast. Oh my gosh, she says, I laughed my head off with that woman. If you don't want to love her, you do not ever, 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 ever need to get to know her. Girl has the honest to goodness world's best personality and will love you to no end through thick and thin. Jen, I love you dearly. I am so unworthy of your words, but I'm thankful to God that you see me through the eyes of grace. Thank you, my friend. Maybe Beth Moore thinks God's standards have changed. If she really loved this person, then she would 
obey 1 Timothy 6, 3, and 4. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus defined marriage between a man and a woman in Mark 10, Luke 19, Luke 16. Don't ever say that Jesus never spoke on the subject of homosexuality when he affirmed marriage between a man and a woman and that God uniquely and differently created us. He was affirming what God said. And if those who do not hold to the sound words of our Lord Jesus and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is connected, he is conceited and understands nothing. But it doesn't surprise me on Beth Moore, who this morning, as she has been bragging all weekend long, is preaching in a church, disobeying the clear teaching of Scripture. But you see, all these weak-willed pastors who trip over their own skirts are afraid to stand up in their churches and say, we don't need Beth Moore Bible studies in our church. If you're a pastor listening to me today, man up and do what is right. Because when we distort the roles that God makes between men and women, we are harming the local church, we are feminizing little boys, and we are destroying the very foundations of marriage. Listen, if there was not the first man and the first woman, and if people are just animals who are procreating with one another, then where did marriage originate from? You see, evolution is a denial of what God has said in terms of the marriage institution. And it's a denial of the sacredness of sex, and that we're just like animals. And so we teach kids we've come from animals, and so what do they do? They live like animals. But God is clear that from the first man and the first woman, he created a hallowed institution. Verse 24, for this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Have you ever wondered what Adam and Eve knew about mothers and fathers? Remember, they're the only two people alive. Why did God put this in his word? Well, not for them, but for us, because obviously this verse has nothing to do with them, uh, you know, leaving a father and mother, and for that matter, it has nothing to do with you abandoning your father and mother when you get married. As a matter of fact, God's word is very clear. You know, in the early years, you are dependent on your mom and dad. You can't do anything. They have to change your diapers, feed you, put you down, watch over you. You never abandon them because God says in the end, when the role reverses, 1 Timothy 5, you're to make sure they're taken care of. And the one who doesn't take care of his own is worse than an unbeliever. We take that verse and we usually apply it down in terms of caring for our children. Legitimate application. God applies it upward in terms of children and grandchildren watching over their father and mother. But among other things, what you find in this verse is you are looking at the authority from God's word itself for a civil religious ceremony that we call marriage, a covenantal commitment that is being made where a person leaves his first loyalty, dad and mom, and he has joined his wife and a new family joins. And Jesus understood this God-ordained institution because right after he quotes this verse, he then says in Matthew 19, 6, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Or some of your translations say, let no man divorce. It's the same word. 
Some of you, I may even say that. You say, Pastor Carl, do you know you're speaking to some divorced people here today? Yes. Over half our people are on second marriages, some on third. We grow by conversion largely this church, and so the sins of the culture come into the church. But I know many of you would stand with me and you would say, Pastor, tell them. Tell them about the heartache of divorce. Tell them about the anguish. Tell them what it does to the children. Keep them from making some of the same mistakes we've made. And I'm not here to throw rocks on people who've been divorced. If you know me, you know that's not true. There's forgiveness through the blood of Christ. But we need to be able to say to our kids, I miss the ideal and not just always be saying, well, you know my ex, what he was like. No, we need to be able to say, this is what God ordained. This is the picture that God wants for you when you get married someday. Yes, I know that sometimes marriages break up because of adultery, and that's the chief cause for divorce today. Some of you have told me your story. You said, I was the man, I was the woman. I cheated on my spouse. I went out on him or her. And you broke the relationship. And some of you are absolutely heartbroken because you were divorced against your will. You didn't want a divorce. But look, you can't unscramble eggs at this point. You have to move forward, and you have to move forward with God's standard. And we need our children because every message that is coming down the pike is shouting at them that marriage can be whatever you want it to be. There's no such thing as gay marriage. Abraham Lincoln was once asked, if you call a tail of a dog a leg, how many legs does the dog have? He asked that of a little boy, our president, our 16th president. The little boy said he has five legs. And Lincoln said, no, he has four legs. You can call a tail whatever you want it, but he only has four legs. And you can call in the highest court of the land as a direct result of politicians that force the case all the way up there. You can call it a marriage, but it's not a marriage any more than there's such things as transgender people. There's no such thing. Look, we are worried sometimes about acts of terrorism and other things. The worst things that have ever happened to this nation in the last 50 years came from the highest court of the land that came from politicians that forced cases to the Supreme Court where we said it is okay to murder little babies in the womb and it's okay to sanction and call holy what God calls a perversion. And we wonder why our nation is failing and why our world is failing. Because what we have exported as a nation Nations all across the planet have embraced. Who would have ever thought that we would take abortion to the point where we have some squirming little baby who survived there in that operating room and the physician with the mother says, kill it! Life begins at the moment of conception and it is to be protected as is marriage. It was not Adam and Steve. It was not Eve and Ethel. It was Adam and Eve, one man, one woman until death separates them. And so God here is speaking not just to those who have failed, but to some of you who have never been married. You need to be able with authority 
to teach your children. And if you don't teach them, you know what they're going to get? The message of the world that is just the opposite. You need to protect their minds. Some of these kids' movies, you know, there's some Elsa song. I was reading the words and, you know, anything goes. No, it doesn't, Elsa, whoever she is. A lot goes. There are moral standards and kids are singing songs and hymns and watching videos and, and they're being fed a message from the evil one himself. And so I want to encourage you today to put your marriage under the management of God, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 24. He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave. The New American Standard 78 says, the newer ones say, be joined. But that's what the word means. He shall leave, he shall cleave, and they shall become one flesh. Three key verbs in the Hebrew text that really give us God's plan and blueprint for marriage. You might want to underline them, leave, be joined or cleave, and become. In fact, I would say most of the problems that I deal with as a pastor in marriage counseling comes from a misunderstanding of these three words. So let's think our way through these three magnificent principles that the Spirit of God gave us. First, there's the principle of leaving. The principle of leaving. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. Let's think about leaving. Let's think about the severing from the perspective of the parents and also from the perspective of the children. Our job as parents is to prioritize our relationship in this life, number one, with the living God, number two, with our spouse, and then with our children. And when that perspective is kept in order, we're in a position to teach our children how to live by God's principles. We need to teach them from the Word of God how to make godly decisions. We need to prepare them how to work hard. Kids know how to work a video screen. They don't know how to work a lawnmower. We need to teach them how to work hard, how to earn money, how to save it, how to tithe it, how to give it. Our goal is to help them someday to stand on their own two feet. And if you let them, as a parent, leave father and mother, when they get married, they'll come back to you as your best friends. Listen to your pastor. I meet couples sometimes who've been married 10, 15 years, and some of them are still going back to their parents. And, they've, and in some of those cases, the parents have never let their kids go. The, the parents are controlling the strings in the marriage. Now, the Hebrew word here for leave, azab, is not a harsh word. It doesn't communicate abandonment, but it's a word that means to loosen something. It conveys the idea of freedom from something. And it's the thought that we are to set our children free. And so severing is not just a physical severing, but also a financial, a mental, uh, and emotional. It doesn't mean that your parents can't give you wise counsel. They might be able to, especially if they know Christ and some who don't know Christ just from life experience. But we need to recognize that as parents, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. You leave father and mother. Why? Because there's a higher relationship. The higher relationship is not the parent-child relationship. The higher relationship is the husband-wife relationship. You know, sometimes people say, well, we're going to start a family. And I think right off, they don't know what God says about the family. And by that, they mean we're going to have kids. No, your family started the day you stood at that marriage altar. 
all that happens when you have children is that that family grows and it enlarges. But again, and, and again, you know, our, our job is to let those kids go, let them rule their own family. I meet people who come in, they're asking me like these questions, you know, we thought this year we'd have our own Thanksgiving and mom and dad are putting pressure on us to come to their house. And I said, well, why don't you have your own Thanksgiving? Why don't you tell dad and mom, this year we're gonna do our own thing. Parents sometimes are controlling and pulling the strings when they need to let their children go and be free. And again, as you do that, they'll come back to you as great friends. You shouldn't always say, hey, why don't you do it like my dad did it? Why don't you do it like my mom did it? Maybe we need to say, honey, why don't you do it the way you want to do it? Because you're the home worker here. There's a leaving. Secondly, there's the principle of cleaving. Cleaving. For this cause, a man shall be joined to his, shall leave his father and mother and cleave or be joined to his wife. The word cleave is a Greek word, excuse me, a Hebrew word that means to glue or to weld. And by the way, the counterpart in Greek means the same thing, to cling together, to unite. Job uses this particular Hebrew word, the bach, when he speaks of the skin that cleaves to his bones. Ezekiel uses the word dabak, cleave, when he speaks of the scales that cleave to a fish. And even King David uses it like the prophet Jeremiah to describe the tongue that cleaves or sticks or is glued, so to speak, to the roof of your mouth. But God's point here in Genesis 2 is that when two people get married, there's a bonding that takes place. And that's why in Malachi 2, God describes divorce as a violent act. But unfortunately, many couples enter into marriage without the thought that this thing is for keeps. You know, I had a couple in this past week, and they want me to marry them next December, and I can. There's no problem with that. And, and so they do the preliminary forms that I, I've got to know in my heart, yeah, this is within the bounds of what I will do as a pastor and what we'll do as elders as a church, what we've agreed upon. And I said, so here's your first assignment, and I gave them a DVD to listen to and a divorce. You see, the first session I'm going to have, six one-hour sessions, they'll have about 15 to 20 hours of homework. And they sign a thing, if you're unwilling to come to the six appointments and do all the homework, I'm not going to marry you. So don't show up without homework done, or I'm just not going to marry you. I'm not in the marrying business. And so I said, the first topic is the permanency of marriage. See, I want them to be so convinced that divorce is never an option that that's not God's ideal by any respect. That if you enter into the marriage, eh, if things don't work out, it will be till divorce to his part. A couple that walks in with that mentality is headed for trouble. Look, the people who get divorces and the people who don't, it's not that the people who don't don't have any problems. They all have problems. You bring two people together and the closest relationship of life, two sinners brought together, you're going to have problems. Paul affirms that in 1 Corinthians 7, 28. He says, if you get married, you will have trouble in this life. 
The difference is not problems, but whether or not we're willing to work through those problems God's way and with God's help. Please join us tomorrow for part three of A Marriage Made in Heaven. And remember, if you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program MMH020. You can listen to Dr. Brogy's messages or series offline by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found on the Apple and Google Play Store. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen to anytime or anywhere. Please join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.